Well, we are, I'm going to transition and invite Tasty Dritt up here. Tasty Dritt is an Oasis leader, and she is teaching tonight. We um, started last week, if you missed last week, a new series called Hot Topics, in which you guys basically submitted questions on just hard topics. And so sort of these first two weeks are sort of on Christianity and science, or the Bible and science. And um, I'm going to get your easel up here, but you can come on up here. Are you, I hope your mic's turned on. So Tacey has sort of taught creationism and evolution stuff a little before, and uh, so she's going to get into stuff. But um, Hi. So I'm Tacey Dredd. Mm. I'm going to start talking about Okay, you. go ahead. I've, 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 <laughs> Um, some of you guys might know me. Those of you who are a freshman should know who I am from Tribe. Uh, especially you young ladies should remember me from last year. Oh, sorry. Um, also, those of you that know Kat, I'm Kat's mom. Um, those of you who are... Well, I'm getting there. <laughs> those of you who are um, sophomores should also probably remember me from Tribe. Um, and I'm Elliot's mom. He's a sophomore. And then um, those of you who are juniors might vaguely remember me from Tribe. That was my first year there. And uh, those of you who are juniors, I'm Isaac's mom. And he's always way in the back being quiet. Those of you who are seniors, you're just going to have to trust that I know what I'm talking about because you don't know me, but that's all right. You'll know me after tonight. So... Um, I have to tell you, creation versus evolution is something that's dear to me because I was saved through a class on creation and evolution. I'm not going to go through that whole story. Some of you have heard it, but um, it's important to me. Am I a scientist? Not by trade. I'm a writer. But I love science. I read about it. I talk about it. Um, I keep up with it. You guys are all now blurry, but I can't see my notes without it. Um, and as far as evolution and creation are concerned, I have read and read and read, and then I have read some more. I've got about two or three bookshelves full of books on this, on this uh, debate that I've read. So I do kind of know what I'm talking about. Um, actually, I don't kind of I, I do know what I'm talking about. I want you to have confidence in what I'm saying. Tonight will actually be more of a science class than a Bible study. And if you noticed, I didn't even bring a Bible up here with me. So those of you that don't like science, I apologize. Those of you that do, cool beans. Um, if you are the kind of person that likes to take notes, I'm going to be talking fast because i don't, I got to make sure I get everything done. So don't feel badly if you don't keep up. I do have a handout that should be given to you after we're done. That will have everything on it, or most of it on there. Those of you that don't like to take notes, don't worry about because there's a handout. So it's going to be easy. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is just a few things about science in general. And last week, the, one of the men that was, on, that was not a Christian made this statement, and he said that his science teacher had said that the highest harmonies of science, which is a beautiful phrase, is still just a theory. All of science is a theory, for the most part. We do have some scientific laws, things that we can prove, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but... Most of science still is a theory, um, and science doesn't always get it right. In fact, quite often it's wrong. Um, as you study scientific history, you'll see where there were theories that people just thought, oh, that's absolutely it, that's the end of all, be all. And then 50 years later, we found some new information, and it was wrong. So science, is, science to use the word, evolves, and it changes. Um, I'm just going to give you uh, an example um, how many of you have heard of carbon-14 dating? 
That was like the big thing when I was your age. Everything was carbon-14 dating. Well, nowadays, both sides, creationists and evolutionists, agree that carbon-14 dating is way unreliable. In fact, it's so unreliable, nobody uses it anymore. So if you hear statistics about somebody, well, they dated this with carbon-14, you can almost just discount them because it's, it's uh, unreliable. I know I repeated myself. I'm sorry. What they use nowadays is called radioisotope dating. And if you don't know what a radioisotope is, that's okay. Um, I can't explain it now. It takes too long. But I could explain it to you at a later time if you're really interested. Um, so you're just going to have to accept that that's the kind of dating that they use now. And you should hear about it in your chemistry classes. Um, for those of you that are, enjoy geology, I'm sure you'll probably run across it. But they use radioisotope dating to date rocks, to see how old a rock level is, okay, or how old a rock is. Um, in 1980, on May 18th, Mount St. Helens erupted in Washington State. It was one of the most volatile volcanic reaction explosions we've had in recorded history. Um, 20 years later, a group known as RATE, and I forget what RATE stands for, went out and started studying some of the things at Mount St. Helens. And one of the things that they did was they took the rocks that had been formed from that explosion, and they sent it to an independent laboratory to have them dated using radioisotope dating. Um, the laboratory didn't know where the rocks came from. They just said, oh, yeah, we'll do these rocks. Well, the rocks came back as dated between a half a million and two and a half million years old. Now, first of all, how many of you in your science classes have a teacher that's going to allow you to have a two million unit disparity? I think you would be laughed out of class if not flunking the assignment. We're not allowed that portion of error, are we? That measurement of error. We have to have a small unit of merit error. So right there, that should tell you that radio, even radioisotope dating is not an exact science. But then you think about the fact that these rocks in the year 2000 were only 20 years old. They had been formed in 1980 on May 18th. We knew exactly when they showed up. And they were dated at a half a million to two and a half million years old. So even radioisotope dating, which sounds so scientific, is not accurate every time, if at all. Um, the next thing I want to show you, we talk a lot about DNA, and, and uh, Elliot and Rachel are going to come up here and help me. You guys hear a lot about your DNA. Elliot, you hold that end. Rachel, you hold this end, and I'm going to explain this to you. Um, this red line represents 100% of your DNA, okay? These blue lines, in between every blue line, is 1% of your DNA. And I counted. There are 100 of them. And I have the bruises on my knees to prove it. So, <laughs> okay, so um, we hear a lot about our DNA I want to, and how our DNA is used to relate us back to our closest relative, the chimpanzee. Sure, you've heard of that in your biology classes. Um, I want to explain something to you about your DNA. First of all, the, the largest variance between two human beings ever discovered in a DNA strand is 0.2% of 1% of your DNA. If you can see that, that I extended this DNA, these two blue lines represent 1% of your total DNA out of the 100. This little purple section right here 
is 0.2%. That's all it is. Now, I want you to think for a minute, and this is a little racial profiling, and I hope I don't insult anybody, but I want you to think of the most, the darkest-skinned person you've ever seen in your life, and then I want you to think of the fairest person you've ever seen in your life. And when you get to the differences of that, how far apart do you think they are in DNA? It's 0.012% of 1%. That's this little teeny green line right here. So then they tell you that we're closely related to the chimpanzee in our DNA. We are between 4 and 6% related to a chimpanzee in our DNA. So I want you to think about the variety of humans that come in this one little variant. And then tell me that we have the same, we, we have the similar chemical makeup, but tell me that we have the same biological background as a chimpanzee when we have this large of a difference. Okay, so even then when they talk about DNA, and they, thank you guys, and they tell you all of this stuff about it, even then, you weren't supposed to drop it, dude. Um, <laughs> when they tell you about all of that, I, I just want you to understand that there is always, there's always another opinion. There's always more to the story. Um, now, here I'm going to get to, and this is where I'm going to start talking fast. Um, what's the difference between a scientific law and a theory? Well, a theory is a hypothesis. A hypothesis is a guess. What do we think is going to happen? What do we think has happened? And we look at evidence, and we do experiments, and we decide. Um, a scientific law is something that can be proven through experimentation over and over again by different people and receiving the same results. Um, one of the most, probably, the one law that you all understand is the law of gravity. If I have something in my hand and I open my hand, what's it going to do? It's going to fall to the, to the earth, isn't it? It doesn't matter where on earth I am. I can be upside down in Australia. It's still going to fall to the earth. All right? Over and over and over again, every one of you guys could conduct that experiment, and you have know that you don't have to worry, is it going to fall, is it going to float up to the ceiling, is it going to zing over to the wall? You know that it's going to fall to the ground. That is a law, okay? So what we're talking about today is actually a theory, and we're going to talk about why that's theories, why they're both theories, and we're going to use a scientific method, and just for a quick review, the scientific method is used worldwide. This is just a set order of how you should conduct an experiment and how you should conduct your, your research um, in order to, uh, to have reproducible results. Because if you can't reproduce your results, they're meaningless. So you ask a question, you do some research, you form your hypothesis, you conduct an experiment, and you analyze the results. If the results um, support your hypothesis, then you publish it or you have somebody else conduct the experiment and see if it's reproducible. If they don't, then you either abandon your hypothesis or you look for a new experiment to prove it. Okay? So today we're talking about two different kind of we're talking about two different people. We're talking about the creationists who believe that God created the world in six days. And we're talking about evolutionists who believe that life was created over millions of years through scientific or through genetic mutations. Okay, so both the, gen the creationist 
And the, ex the um, evolutionist, excuse me, asked the same question, where do we come from? So we all want to know that, don't we? Because if we know where we come from, maybe we kind of know where we're going, kind of. Um, so we both asked the same questions. And then we do some research. Now, a creationist is going to read his Bible. A creationist is, by definition, a Christian, somebody that believes the Bible and or Jewish. Um, they believe what the Bible says, and they're going to read it, and they're going to read that in, on the sixth day, God created humans, and he created Adam and Eve, and we all came from Adam and Eve until the world became so evil that God had to destroy it in a flood. There were only eight people that survived that flood. It was Noah and his wife, Noah's three sons and their wives, so all of the people currently living on the earth are descendants of Noah and Noah's sons and their three wives. That's a creationist. An evolutionist is going to go and do some reading. He's going to read Darwin. He's going to read Stephen Hawking and all of these other guys. And he's going to come back and he's going to say, well, I think that the earth started with some random chemical reaction and these reactions continued until a single cell was formed and then a single cell split and mutated and suddenly it was a multi-cell uh, animal, and so on and so forth, until eventually we have people, okay? That's the research. And just for, just for convenience sake, I wrote Creation Bible and Evolution Darwin, even though there's a lot more to both of them. Um, so then we're going to form our hypothesis. And our hypothesis for a creationist is going to say, I believe God made us. That's what I think happened. God made us just like he said in the Bible, Evolution is going to say, well, I think we came from lower life forms through genetic mutations. Everybody with me? I hope you're nodding. I can't tell. I don't have my glasses on. <laughs> okay. So then the next step in the scientific method is the experiment stage. Well, I want to ask you this. What experiment can you do from either standpoint that's going to prove where we came from? If you are an evolutionist, you are going to start, well, I could put these chemicals together and maybe create a single-cell organism. And if any of you in here have heard of or studied Miller's Spark Chamber, I have quite a lot to say to you about that, but not tonight. Um, so, but then even if, they were to, even if they were to be able to make that happen, which it hasn't yet, it still does not answer the question, where did those chemicals come from, does it? A creationist is then going to look at it, and he's going to say, well, I can't really. God started from nothing. It says in the void. I can't go back to the void. And just to demonstrate, my brother-in-law has this joke he likes to tell, and he says, this guy walks up to God, and he says, I can make a man just as well as you can. And God said, really? Go ahead and try. And the guy says, sure, just give me some dirt. God looks at him and says, go make your own dirt. <laughs> so the thing is, is that even as creationists can't do an experiment, can they? There's nothing that we can experiment in that will show us where life came from. Um, so that is, leaves us with something that is called historical evidence. It doesn't fall over. Okay. So we have historical evidence. Historical evidence is when you take certain phenomena, scientific phenomena, that has happened in the past, and you use that instead of experiments, and you analyze those results. Okay? So we have 
and these are just three. There's, there's lots more of this, but the three I'm going to talk about tonight is geology, the geological layers, our fossil record, record and modern phenomena. Okay. So I need you guys to kind of remember this. Actually, I'm just going to work off of this. Um, I, don't, I, can't, I don't think I have time to write stuff. Okay. So the geological layers... We know, we can see with our own eyes that rocks are at different levels, and we have different kinds of rocks at different levels. An evolutionist looks at that evidence, and he says, well, it took millions of years for the world to come about, and so those are just layers of silt and rock and everything and dirt that have formed up and formed different rock layers over the years, right? A creationist looks at that same piece of geological rock, those layers, and says, well, how might that have happened? Because a, a creationist doesn't think that the world is millions of years old. We, we estimate it to be somewhere between eight and 12,000 years old. So how did that happen? Well, there was a catastrophic event that destroyed this entire world and remade it. And that was Noah's flood. And if you're going to believe in creation, you're going to understand that Noah's flood was a real worldwide event. And those whole layers were laid down. I want you to think back. I'm just going to throw in a little bit of uh, emphasis on this one. I want you to think back to Mount St. Helens. Mount St. Helens actually created a canyon that is the 140th in scale of the Grand Canyon. has the same geological layers in it, almost identical. Okay? So we say Noah's flood. So evolutionist says millions of years laid down. The creationist says Noah's flood. Well, where did all those fossils come from? We know, those of you that have studied this, know that suddenly in the Cambrian age, I always have to look it up, suddenly there were fossils everywhere. We went from nothing, or or plant fossils, a few here and there, and then we suddenly had all kinds of simple animals in the Cambrian age. And then the animals sort of develop and and become more um, complex as they go up in the fossil layers. Okay, so an evolutionist says, well, where did this happen? That's fine. Both, both sides agree and understand that a fossil is created through a catastrophic event, great pressure, and proper, circum- and proper environment. Okay, so we don't disagree on that. We both know how it does. What we disagree on, on is the time. An evolutionist says, well, again, these fossils are just made up over millions of years as animals died and we have these different layers where events happened. And somewhere, evolutionists believe, and believe is a key word, believe that these fossils are going to one day form or find a transitional fossil. And by transitional, I mean a fossil that is halfway between one species and another, okay? Like halfway between a fish that swims in water and halfway between a fish that walks on water, okay? Haven't found it yet. They're still looking, though. A creationist looks at that same fossil record and says, well, Noah's flood destroyed everything at once. It was a catastrophic event. It laid down the right environment for fossils to be formed. And those layers, if you study them, they make sense based on the level and the intelligence of the animal so that they would escape to higher ground as the floodwaters rose. Okay, so all of those flood fossils showed up because of Noah's flood. The last thing I want to talk about is modern phenomena. Now, modern phenomena, we're going to talk about microevolution. Um, 
Microevolution is when you have differences in one species, mutations in the genetic code. Um, every year we have to get a new flu shot, right? Is it because the vaccine wore off? No. It's because the flu virus has mutated, and it's a different type of flu. But guess what? It's still the flu. In the early 80s, they discovered the, the AIDS virus. They finally pinpointed what was making all of these people sick. Um, 30 years later, it's not the same virus anymore. The, the drugs that they developed, and this is where people misunderstand, by the end of the 80s and the early 90s, they had drugs that helped people who had AIDS live a better, longer life. Those drugs are no longer effective because the AIDS virus has mutated but it's still the AIDS virus. We have microevolution, just as an example within the animal world, between a, a wolf kind and a chihuahua. Now you have, I'm, I'm not a dog fan, but you could still take a wolf and a chihuahua and mate them and get a living, breathing animal from the two, okay? Um, that's assuming the wolf, wolf wouldn't eat the chihuahua. <laughs> you might have to do it in the laboratory. In the laboratory, they have combined a lion and a tiger to get a liger. Those of you can go online and see those. They're absolutely beautiful. Um, but that's because they're still the same species. There are different genetic mutations between them, many of which, especially in the dog kingdom, have been bred specifically to create the type of dogs that we have today they all still go back to the same kind, okay? That's called microevolution. Both sides understand that process. Both sides agree that that happens. Where we come into differences is macroevolution. And macroevolution means that there is one species that mutated into another species. There is no evidence for that. There is no species that in a laboratory has been bred with another species that has created any kind of living creature, ever. And that's what tells you what's a species and what isn't, is it if, or if they're compatible, if you can create a breathing creature from them. Okay? So what do we do with all of this? We've got two sides. We, we have no experiment that we can do. We have historical evidence both sides are using the same evidence. We're both looking at the geological layers. We're both studying the same fossils. We're both looking at the same modern phenomenon. So what do we do with it? Well, that's where the real question comes in. This is where you have to come into your analysis. Um, this is where you have to decide what your worldview is. And a worldview is how you look at the world. And if you are going to look at the world as a Christian, you have to look at creation as reality. Because if our Bible is true enough to, for our salvation, it has to be true enough for our creation as well. We don't get to pick and choose what we believe and what we don't believe. If your answer, if you don't believe there is a God, well, then evolution is your answer. Because there's no God in evolution. There's no room for him at all. So the real question in this whole debate is not where did we come from, not where we're going. The real question in this whole thing is, is there a God? And I have to tell you that if your answer is yes, 
then you need to learn Genesis 1 through 11. If your answer is, I don't know, then you need to talk to a leader. And if your answer is no, then we'll be praying for you, because I personally think you're wrong. But <laughs> that's okay. I'm not, you're not going to scare me with your difference of opinions. Um, speaking of which, on the handout that you will be given, there are um, two websites. One of them is for Answers in Genesis, and the other one is for the Institution of Creation Research. You can go to those websites and do research and look up your own articles. You are also, feel free to ask me questions. I may not know the answers off the top of my head, but I will certainly know where to find them. Okay? And before you leave, I want to, leave, I want to read this to you. It's a quote by Robert Boyle. And Robert Boyle is the father of modern chemistry. Um, those of you who have, are in chemistry will hear his name sometime this year. But this is what he had to say as a scientist. When with bold telescopes I survey the old and newly discovered stars and planets, when with excellent microscopes I discern the unmittable subtlety of nature's curious workmanship, and when, in a word, by the help of anatomical knives and the light of chemical furnaces, I study the book of nature, I find myself often, oftentimes reduced to exclaim with the psalmist, How manifold are thy works, O Lord, and wisdom hast thou made them all. So I hope you guys have a good conversation in your small groups. And the songs I'm making Saying You will never write a verse Like Kendrick Never be the rapper Rock out from Hendrix Top 10 alive You will never be mentioned Why I aim so high Once about the trenches Plus You a Christian Andy They will never listen Andy Plus We a pigment Andy <laughs> You don't got skill You a gimmick Andy Well If I listen to you And everything you put in my ear I be living like Shut up Shut up I be paralyzed by fear huh, Ain't that the truth If I quit The only way I lose I got two choices When I do this Make moves or make excuses huh? If you know who I'm talking about my biggest enemy is me, and even I can't stop me. They try to shut us down, and it ain't gon' slide. Only thing I fear is God, and he on my side. That's the confidence I got, cause he got me. That's why I really feel like...